Welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm Becky Morgan, your host for today, and I am joined by Ariana Cascone, and we are talking about that shocking penalty shootout elimination by the United States that has knocked them out of the World Cup. We have just finished watching it, and I have never seen a team go out like that. Yeah, that was a heartbreaker, huh? That was um... a real heartbreaker, especially because Nair had been doing so well in the penalty shootout, but let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I know I jumped <laughs> right into that because that's on the forefront of our minds, but let's go back and actually talk a little bit about the game as a whole and how it started and some of the tactical changes. So the, the biggest thing before the game even started is that the team came out in a four, two, three, one with Emily Sonnet added to the lineup as part of a double defensive pivot next to Andy Sullivan and this was a forced change in some ways because uh, Rose Lavelle was removed from being able to play for the game due to yellow card accumulation. So tell me your first thoughts on how this change changed things for the United States, how they performed as a result of it. And how do you think the sonnet slotting into uh, the sixth spot next to Sullivan did? Yeah, I mean, when I saw this, you know, I saw it at what? 4 a.m. Eastern. So I kind of get out of bed and I see the lineup and I'm like, am I awake? Am I seeing this correctly? Right. Sonnet <laughs> yeah, in the midfield, yeah. I guess. So that's just to say, I did not expect that to be the direction, you know, Vlad Kononovsky and the U.S. went. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to say that reservation, I think, was not on target. Like, I think Emily Sonnet was actually a real bright spot in this game for the U.S. For sure, I think sure. the double pivot worked really well. Um I think Sonnet and Sullivan playing kind of off one another, it allowed them to be better positionally. So mm-hmm. I've talked a lot and I've written a lot about how I think Andy Sullivan has been, you know, caught out of position, late to tackles um, numerous times. And the U.S. midfield had struggled in the group stage, right? That's not a secret. But I think in this match against Sweden, Sonnet and Sullivan were covering a lot of ground and they mm-hmm. were able to to kind of cut down Sweden's attack early. Um, they were in the right spaces at the right time. And, you know, it kind of makes Laura Harvey's decision at the rain to play Sonnet at the six seem pretty good because, you know, Sonnet's getting minutes at the six in club. And so to see her do that for country, even though she hasn't done that much recently, um, I guess it paid off. No, it did pay off. I agree with you 100%. I mean, you talked about how it helped the team, you know, defensively a little more, but even offensively, you know, it allowed... Naomi Gurma to have that many like more open passing lanes you know it really opened up the ability of the midfield to move the ball forward especially because it helped move Lindsay Horan up Mm -hmm. a little forward and and play a little more as you know like a true 10 which is her strong suit so on a whole it just worked this team looked like the U.S. team that we've been hoping to see all tournament long, they were on the front foot. They kept Sweden on the back foot. You know, that whole game, Sweden only got nine shots with one on target off through, you know, the full 90 plus stoppage time plus two extra time. The U.S. got, ele- uh, t- I'm sorry, 22 shots with 11 on target. They forced 11 saves out of the uh, the Swedish keeper who, I mean, my God, she just had an absolute clinic in goal. And so... 
you know, it's heartening to see the United States play the way they know we know that they can play, but it's also so frustrating that it took this long for it to happen. I'm just curious. I, I know everything is just kind of, you know, guessing, looking back and wondering what could have been done different. Do you think that if the U S had employed something like this, a, a different formation, if they had been more aggressive, maybe in the group stage, making some of these formation changes that maybe the U S would have, been in better shape to maybe get some of those goals across the line, maybe feel a little more confident. Cause I mean, they went into this game having off their, arguably their one of their worst matches in recent history against Portugal. Yeah. I mean, this is a question I certainly don't have the answer to. And I've been mulling over this as I watched, you know, this game against Sweden. Um, it's, it's interesting to think about why the changes didn't come sooner in the group stage. I mean, was it, it one way to think about it is, okay, maybe Vlad Kononovsky and the coaching staff are waiting for the knockouts to do this. And then you think about how the Portugal game, the U.S. almost lost because and they were saved by a, a post. Right. So yeah. like, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that is the reason, right. If there was some kind of like strategy to waiting, or if, like you said before, this was kind of pushed into motion because Roosevelt would be unavailable against Sweden. And to yeah. me, I think, yeah, I think that, Having Lavelle unavailable almost forced the hand of the coaching staff. Like, okay, now we have to do something with the midfield because our go-to, who we we didn't have, and you know, Sav Demello made some uh, made her starts in the World Cup, and and I, not to say that she played poorly, but I don't know that she um, did what the U.S. needed. Right, the attack was not really clicking. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, that that plan didn't work. What's the next plan? And maybe it was playing the double pivot, which obviously worked well against Sweden. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's frustrating. I, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm kind of thinking, and it's still so soon after the game, like, is it better to go out having played your best game of the tournament, even if you get eliminated? Or would it have been better just to, like, not have done great and been like, it's just not our year? Because, I mean, the way they went out is just kind of unbelievable. Like, I, I still can't quite believe it like it seemed by the end of regulation time like okay this might be going to penalty shootoffs like just the way both teams are going this could be happening but then you know the u.s you know we we put in rapino obviously preparing for penalty kicks and the fact that you know rapino of all people skied her penalty shot and then sophia smith did and then kelly o'hara went off the post where you know, Sweden, they for that only one person missed, Nair made two saves and converted her own penalty kick. <laughs> and she initially made the save for Lena, or seemed to initially make the save for Lena Herdig's penalty. But I mean, it dropped about a hair over the line as much as possible. And then to have like it not be immediately determined to have to go to VAR and to have that tense minute where like the ref doesn't even know what's happening and everybody's just like, what the hell? And then have it called. I mean, that is just, it was such a bizarre sequence of events and I don't know. So almost painfully drawn out. It, it's just, I, I don't know. It seems absurd. Like what was your reaction watching that, that whole thing play out? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a shootout kind of VAR decision type thing. Um, I was just 
probably like most of our listeners, right? Maybe you sitting there in shock. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, I agree with what you just said. It was kind of a lot to take in. Um, shootouts are always that way. Like I, you know, you, Lindsay Horan after the game, when during her interview, she just said to put it frankly, penalties suck. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, but I, I don't want something that you mentioned to, to sort of, um, fly under the radar, which is the question of whether it's better or worse that the U.S. had this really great performance in their last game and now they're not moving on and whether that would be better if than if they had just sort of been mid and then, yeah, they would have been subpar. And then, you know, in this knockout game and I really like that question. I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't know, you know, what would make things feel less shocking or bad, but you know, I, I want to just touch on this idea that yes, maybe the U.S. had, um, an underwhelming tournament, but I think I don't want it to get blown out of proportion in terms of like how bad it actually was. Right. So I look at some of the outcomes defensively for the U.S., for instance, and, you know, they allow two shots on target, uh, across four games, right? They, so Sweden in this game specifically, right? They didn't have that many, um, you know, dangerous attacking chances. The U.S. still won the expected goals battle in this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, it was 1.29 XG for the U.S. and 0.81 for Sweden. And in the group stage, actually, the U.S. allowed the fewest expected goals against of all teams. So defensively, this team was pretty good. And I, I don't want that to get lost in this early elimination, right? Is it true that the U.S. attack underperformed expectations absolutely right we on paper i think expected the attack to be the us's saving grace especially when becky sauerbrunn was you know not available due to injury for mm-hmm. this back line and and i think having the roles kind of switch with the defense being reliable and the us's attack having scored no goals in open play across three straight matches was I think in part makes sort of this early exit a little bit more difficult to wrap our heads around. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I always try and find nuance as a writer. And I think that, you know, emotions are high, especially in, in with the national team, almost more than club teams. And, you know, cause we don't see them as frequently. So mm-hmm. every result looms large, but you know, this, this was not a great performance overall by the U.S. And the U.S. has not been performing that great. I mean, the games that they lost at the end of 2022 and everything were, you know, a bit of a red flag. But this is also a turnover and development cycle. You know, no other, no team in history has won three back-to-back because it's really freaking hard to do. Um And, you know, I think that some people think that there's just going to be an expectation of never ending ascendancy and that like they were so dominant in 2019. Well, they're going to be even more dominant this year. And that's just an impossible trajectory to maintain. So I agree with you 100%. There are definite problems. There are definite questions to be asked, but that doesn't erase that there were still, you know, decent aspects. I mean, Germany and Brazil got eliminated in the group stages you know the u.s got eliminated in the round of 16 and that's their their worst performance ever in a world cup but they got eliminated by the number three team in the world you know this was a this was a matchup worthy of a world cup final 
But at the same time, you know, I don't want to make excuses for how tepid the attack was. Mm -hmm. You know, Sophia Smith just did not work that well on the left wing. Um, Alex Morgan was non-existent for a lot of these games and, and really not a threat, you know? And then when we put Rapino in, she, she didn't function that great. I think Lynn Williams had a pretty good game this game. Rodman looked dangerous in the beginning, um, but then, you know, couldn't play the full 90 and definitely not into extra time. And so that affected things a little bit, but then moving Smith centrally worked. So, I mean, has there just not been enough tinkering with the front line? Was Mal Swanson getting injured just like the, back in April, the early death knell of the U.S.'s attack? Like, I don't know, but absolutely 100%. The, the biggest question, you know, previously had been the midfield in the U.S., and I still think there are questions about the midfield. Mm-hmm. But the attack in in this tournament, at least, has really shown that, you know, finishing is the United States' biggest problem because, as you said, they're generating all that XG, but what do they have to show for it? You know, XG is is very impressive, but really only when you're actually converting enough goals to win games. Yeah, this is, I mean, not wrong, right? I, I like when, <laughs> you know, I like you pointing out that Sophia Smith moving centrally was better than having her out in the wing. I, I agree that she was pretty ineffective on the wing. I think early in the tournament, Smith st- struggled with, you know, over dribbling, taking too many players on, turning over the ball. And, you know, in this game, I think some of the same, but also a lot of kind of losing the ball out on the wing or or not being able Mm -hmm. to connect passes. And this, it's kind of hard to, to recount this whole pattern of Smith being out on the wing for the U.S. in this tournament, because for Portland, she's played a majority of her games as the nine, right? Mm -hmm. She is the centerpiece of their attack of the one of the most dangerous attacking teams in the NWSL right she has I think 10 goals five assists in regular season play and so you know she played less than five five games I think on the wing and and so it's like of course she's better centrally Um, and so you know she's playing out of the wing for the national team and is part of that because the head the um the coaching staff wants Alex Morgan to play the nine and to be on the field um probably right that's what my inclination is yeah you know know, why else would would that be the decision but you know alex morgan comes off rapino comes in and then smith moves centrally and and you're right that did make things look better yet still no goals to show for it so you know what what questions remain for the united states as they're leaving this um you know, what, what are the big questions that you as a player, as Vlatko Andonovsky, as a USS official are thinking like, man, this needs to be better. We need to do something, obviously. So, so what would it be? I mean, for me, I think one of the more surprising bright spots that maybe in hindsight shouldn't be such a surprising bright spot is that Julie Ertz did so amazingly just going into CB, a position that she has not played in God knows how many years, you know, especially after being out for so long after, you know, her pregnancy and her injury after the Olympics. So, you know, she slotted in and she and Gurma looked excellent next to each other. And they were, I think, without question, the brightest spot of the U.S. in any way. And I mean, you had called out the defense in general, but I think 
both Dunn and Fox had their shaky moments, even though I think, you know, Fox in particular looked good this game and, and Dunn definitely had some bright spots. But I mean, Gurma and Ertz together were almost unbeatable. And, you know, they're in large part the reason that the U.S. was able to keep opponents XG so low and their their chances so limited. So that's great. But I mean... Ertz still isn't a player of the future. The fact that Cook didn't play for even a minute. Um, I mean, that she was supposed to be the person who's going to be paired with, you know, Gurma moving forward. So what does that say for the future of the U.S. center backs? Did Cook just need more time? Was she injured and we didn't maybe know all about it completely? And then, you know, like you talked about, like with the attack, with the formations, with everything we've said about, I mean, there have definitely been calls for Vlatko to maybe step down as coach. Maybe he's not working as the the national team coach that's needed. What do you think about all these big picture questions? Like what, what are the big takeaways that you're leaving with and saying that this is what the U S needs to look at? So when you were talking through the defensive part of that, I just looked up quickly how old Julia Ertz is, right? She's 31. So <laughs> you're right. She's not a player of the future. And that kind of leaves me with a little bit of a question, right? Um, Naomi Gurma and Ertz were lights out in this tournament. I'll just say that. I think they were really good. And I was, I too was surprised to see Ertz at center back in the first game. And then, you know, that sort of just carried over. Um, we're, you know, we ended up seeing that center back pairing because Becky Sauerbrunn was injured. And mm-hmm. if Ertz is not a player of the future, of course, Becky Sauerbrunn is not either, right? She's yes, older. Absolutely. And, and so, um, it's interesting, you know, seeing kind of another veteran player stepping into the role that a veteran player had, you know, vacated because of injury. So I think for me, some of these, the, some of the most glaring questions have to do with this transition from like the veterans to the new era or, you know, not even the new era, just younger players. So, you know, we had a 14, I think, players uh, were World Cup. Yes. Mm -hmm. So in their first World Cup on the U.S. roster and, you know, yet in terms of starting lineups and substitutions, I think Vladkonovsky did err on the side of the veterans, right? We see Rapino come in for Morgan, who started every game, um, for instance, right? We just talked about how Alana Cook didn't see any time in this World Cup and Julie Ertz was the starter at center back. So, you know, when is that like changing of the guard going to happen? Right. Was it for me? I thought maybe it would happen after the Olympics when the United States had a really poor showing. Right. And and mm-hmm. that roster was really old. Um, and then, you know, we come to this World Cup and, and the roster is in terms of its age. Right. It's actually on par with previous World Cup rosters for the U.S. Mm-hmm. But in terms of experience, World Cup experience, more inexperience. Right. So, um but yet still leaning on the veterans. So it's sort of like, that's what's pinging around in my head right now. It's like, if Vladkonovsky stays in the job, will there be some turning over to not, I don't want to say trusting the younger players more, but just leaning on them more, maybe calling them into these kind of um, situations that veterans have been traditionally tapped in for, Mm -hmm. or, you know, if there is a new, if there is a change in the head coach, is that something that will happen for this U S team? Because I think, you know, it's only a matter of time that has to happen. And this, and with all of this young talent in the pool, I think it it should be an exciting thing. It should be an exciting thing. And especially because we have seen a lot of 
bright, exciting play from some of these young players. You know, mm-hmm. Gurma and I said Fox, you know, she had some shaky moments in the group stage, but she looked excellent. I thought game. she was fantastic against Sweden, I agree. Yeah, and so, you know, Fox, Gurma, great for the future. Um, you know, Rose still isn't that old, but she can stay healthy. Trinity looked excellent. You know, there's definitely young, bright talent. Smith, when she can play centrally where she's best and most prepared to play, also, you know, looks pretty good. So, I mean, the future is bright for the U.S., but just like we talked about fan expectations being maybe unrealistic and like, oh, this is the most horrible thing that could have ever happened to the U.S. And I mean, it's not good. But at the same time, I mean, I know they kind of have to say this because it's, you know, they're their team but you know with the exception of Blotko saying that the last game was crap previous to this one the game of Portugal goal was crap you know he's been pretty sunshine and rainbows about things like oh we we dominated the Netherlands I believe is what he said when you know they may have dominated them in possession but definitely not in, in anything else and you can be dominated while still having possession if they're controlling you off the ball so you know, was there, do you think, opposite to maybe what we've seen from the reaction of some people in social media and the fan base, do you think that the U.S. has almost been a little too rose-colored glasses with how things are going and maybe that they just waited too long to acknowledge that there were problems? Or do you think that that was just kind of the PR line that they had to give? That's a really interesting question. I think, you know, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but... Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, come on, Ariana. Uh, Tell us everything that's happening. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm behind the scenes. No, um, <laughs> I think I'm more inclined to believe that it is something that they like. The second part of what you said, sort of like the PR strategy that they went with, um, and that's because it, like, these are professional athletes, right? They know when they don't perform to to what they are capable of. They know when the team puts on a bad performance, right? Mm-hmm. They so know more I think, than anybody. Yeah, they know more than, exactly. Like they know it better than us who are watching from our couch in our living room, right? So, um, you know, they're they're in it, they feel it, they can tell. So I, I think that, you know, even if if the coach or or the players are saying, oh, it's not that bad, whatever, like they know, they know it's bad. Um, and, you know, Vlad Konanovsky, after the game against Portugal, I don't think he was as direct in his comments about the performance and then it wasn't until a a subsequent presser he was like yeah it was crap right so he knows and i think tempering some of those immediate reactions is just part of the job too but you know i think that in terms of the the expectations and and they the expectation was to win the tournament you know Mm -hmm. it, it always is for the united states so there's no doubt that this is just absolutely crushing and, you know, it remains to be seen if there is a coaching change or, you know, what's going to happen after this. But I think that there's no doubt that these players know that they kind of underperformed expectations. Now, whether or not those expectations of winning the tournament should be there, I think that's a different question, right? So we saw Great the United point. States close out 2022, um, or I actually, so they were on a three-game skid, right, of losing, which had mm-hmm. happened rarely in history, right? Um, back to back to back losses against European teams. And so the issues that we have been discussing on this podcast and on the, on the equalizer site, they've sort of been here all along. 
Mm-hmm. And so it almost felt naive to say with your whole chest, the United States are going to run it back and win three World Cups in a row, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think teasing apart those two ideas is important. But, you know, is it disappointing? Yes. Is it shocking that the U.S. didn't run it back? Maybe not. Is it shocking they lost in the, in the round of 16? Maybe, but only because of their history, not mm-hmm. because of, like, you know, the the last six months or year that, that we have seen from them. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head, at least how I think, see things. And I mean, obviously, people are going to have different interpretations, different viewpoints. I mean, I lean towards so much of what the US has been saying that, you know, people criticizing them being so positive as being PR. But at the same time, the fact that they haven't made that many adjustments until absolutely forced to does raise to me questions of how aware they really were that things were, you know, potentially, I don't want to say going downhill, but not going uphill. You know, mm-hmm. they, they weren't, they weren't necessarily dropping off a cliff, but they weren't getting better. And it didn't seem like they, they had a strong immediate need or recognition of a need to maybe start making changes a few months ago, of course, you know, decisions were driven by injury and everything, though. I mean, we, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, Mal only tore her patellar tendon in April. And we thought that when Katerina Macario tore her ACL la- July before last, you know, in 2022, that she might be back by now, maybe not paying in a full capacity. And then, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn getting excluded was huge. At the same time, though, like those excuses can only go so far. So, again, it, I think it's there's kind of a middle line between all of this where it's like, did the U S do enough? Maybe not, but was maybe holding the line the safest option because there were all these things changing and maybe trying to go forward without unsettling things too much by keeping Alex Morgan on the field and all that. They thought that might bring a level of comfort that would benefit them. I don't know. It's impossible to say. But, you know, I I do agree 100% with you that, like, I don't want to say I expected the U.S. to go out in the round of 16. But, I mean, knowing that they were playing Sweden, I am actually more surprised that this went all the way to penalty kicks. Or, the you know, once they started playing, I thought, like, oh, they could really win this 1-0. But before they started playing based on how they played in the tournament and everything, you know, I didn't think that they were going to win it. I, I never felt as someone who follows the team that closely that they were like guaranteed favorites. And the reason this whole World Cup has been exciting is because I don't think there's anybody you could have said from the go, oh, they're absolute favorites because there have been so many amazing upsets. So, yeah, I mean, the state of football is is just changing. So I agree with you that, you know, the the belief that just going to this, the like, oh, the U.S. is going to win all of this and there's no question about it. They have to win this. It's a failure if they don't win this. I mean, well, yeah, it's obviously a failure if you don't win. I mean, that's that's default. But I guess what I'm getting to is, do you see this as a huge catastrophic failure for the U.S. or do you just see this as kind of like, yeah, this is kind of what I saw happening? I am more, you know, the second one there. Um, but is that a catastrophic failure that we both had these that's a good, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's, that's the question. I think that's a really good point. And 
I don't know. I mean, what what is the bar that we're comparing to? Is the bar all of the performances that we have seen from the U.S. under Bakunanovsky? Because if that's the bar, no, this is not a failure. This is kind of Part what of I expected. Yeah. 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 And, you know, is the bar the the fact that the United States women's national team has won four World Cups? They won the World Cup in 2015 and 2019, right? Is that the bar? Because compared to that bar, sure, let's call this a failure. Um, but I think, you know, it's worth pointing out that in 2019, the U.S. were not dominant in that World Cup, you know, and they win. And sometimes that's just soccer. Um, you know, like, I think, I don't want to say, you know, we're just sort of dissecting all the things that went, went wrong in this World Cup and, and, you know, acknowledging them. But the U.S. are one of the, the most unlucky teams in the attack you know, this World Cup, like they mm-hmm. underperform their expected goals more than any other team. And so sometimes like sometimes the bounce is just not in your favor. And and this happened in this in this edition of the tournament for the World Cup. But again, that's just soccer. Um, and that's not to take away from what I said before, which is comparing to other performances that we've seen under Vakwanovsky, right? The attack not gelling has been kind of part of of Anonofsky ball all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like this idea of, of the U.S. being unlucky, sure, maybe that's true. But also it seems like they've been unlucky quite often under, you know, this system. So it's interesting. There's a lot of moving parts. It's kind of hard to, to think through all of this and not get into like a doomsday spiral sure. or like everything is is uh, butterflies and rainbows. Right. I try to stay like neutral, even though I can understand, you know, some of these different arguments. And I mean, it- Ultimately, if this World Cup has shown us anything, it is that, you know, the the game has changed so dramatically, even in the last four years. Mm -hmm. You know, the stars aligned for the U.S. in 2019 and the fact that they were peaking at the right time, all their players were healthy, you know, everything was just going well. Where this year, you know, that did not happen for us. That did not happen for a lot of teams that caused a lot of chaos. And... You know, the U.S. used to get by relying so much on speed and physicality, and the rest of the world has caught up with that so much that that is just not the leg up that it used to be that differentiates the U.S. from other teams the way it used to. And that's good. You know, that's that's a good thing for the sport as a whole. That's phenomenal to see, you know, this many surprise teams making it through to the elimination rounds. Yeah, I... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's not a good thing that like Brazil, Germany, and the US were all eliminated early and Canada too, I guess. But I mean, it is good for the sport. And so I don't know. Am I depressed as a fan of the US that they're out this early? Do I feel bad for the players? Sure. It's tough. And especially to go out with a loss like that, it's tough. But, you know, overall, as a fan of the sport in general, this has been the most exciting World Cup like I have ever seen in my life. I know we're getting a little off topic here, but, you know, so close to that game ending, I guess I'm just trying to keep a positive perspective that, you know, there's a lot of really exciting soccer to still watch Mm -hmm. in this World Cup just because, you know, the U.S. is out does not mean that, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot more to see coming up in the rest of the elimination rounds. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, This World Cup has been out of this world. I've had just I've been having a ton of fun watching and covering it. And, you know, it's almost like any team can beat any other team on any given day. 
um, in a lot of these matches, which sounds a lot like a league that we both cover very closely, right? The NWSL. And, <laughs> and so, we you know, always say that's its biggest strength, right? Exactly. So it's like, you know, I, I should be prepared maybe for, for that kind of, for the emotions that come along with that, like the roller coaster of every single game. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the U.S. is out, but still lots of good soccer to be played. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will have a lot more at Equalizer to say about this game, about the U.S.'s performance. I'm sure there's going to be some deep dives coming in the next day or so about what went right, what went wrong. There's probably going to be a podcast that is just breaking down the big picture for the U.S. coming sooner rather than later. And then just more great coverage coming your way about the the entire rest of the World Cup. So stay with us. Uh, Equalizer will be your source for women's soccer for the rest of the World Cup and beyond. I think that's all the time we have for now. Ariana, thank you so much for, for joining me in this early hour after such a dramatic early morning. Yeah, thanks for the chat, Becky. I always enjoy it. I enjoyed it too. And we would like to give special thanks to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy, as always. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We will see you soon. 